I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yes, you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Enda Call here with you in the company of Juco James and Alan Morrison, aka Celtic by Numbers. It is Derby Week. It is final week. Celtic against Rangers in the Via Play League Cup final. I have to say, going into this, the Via Play League Cup final does sound about as tin pot as you're going to get when it comes to these games, but it is a massive game. Let's not dumb it down because of the name. Celtic are looking to defend their title, Rangers are looking to take that off it, and apparently win. The third trophy given out in the last uh, two years in uh, Scottish football. Apparently, Rangers have won the last two. Where I, I'm not sure where Mickey Beale has got that one from, but I mean, if that's what he thinks, that's what he thinks. But we're going to be looking ahead to this game, and we're going to be looking ahead to what Celtic are going to be doing, and a little bit on the opposition as well, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, all right. Good stuff. He's good now, and and uh, whatever whatever is on Mickey's mind, he, he's going to open his mouth and let you know. All about it. It's just like, you must just have a little monkey going around in his head beating a drum every 30 seconds. I must say something stupid. I must say something to wind the world. It's the old Homer Simpson, isn't it? It's always like a little monkey in his head. Simpson. <laughs> well, it's just it's just one of these things where it's actually it's for me it's actually a fantastic thing because I like being able to dislike the Rangers manager again because Geo I just kind of felt sorry for whereas Mickey Bill just winds me up and I can't tell if it's a genuine tactic from him or if it's just the way he is I I, I genuinely cannot tell if this is all for show or if this is just the way he is because I mean he's been in the background for so long and he's now in the forefront so but anyway. That's regardless to what's going on. It is League Cup final week this Sunday. Celtic take on Rangers. The first big test, I would say, James, the Celtic have had in a number of weeks. We've had a lot of hammerings in the last number of weeks, a lot of really good performances. But I guess this is the first weekend in a long while that Celtic will be tested properly. And it is a game that, you know, you're you're coming up against Similar-ish opposition when it comes to standards, and you're coming up against a team that are looking, also looking to win a trophy. So, this is going to be a real test for how good and how well Celtic are actually performing, because it's going to be stress level tested this week. Yeah, it's exciting in that way. Um, you know, obviously within the context of the normal kind of uh, nerves and all the other fun that come along with it, but. Um, you know, Rangers have been in good form since Beal took over. Um, I did a analysis and a piece earlier in the week that basically looked at the underlying performances that, you know, they've been kind of consistent with actually uh, 
before Beal arrived with uh, finishing being on the upswing. Um, McGregor has been mildly less awful, but still pretty awful. Um, and, and so, you know, they've, I think it's, they've won 13 out of 14 under Beal with the one draw against us. And, you know, that was a, um, a pretty close game that, you know, obviously being at Ibrooks is important context, but it's not as if, um, you know, we, we looked dominant against them in, in that game. So, yeah, I, I think um, I mentioned earlier in the week, I mean, basically uh, for six months, we play them four times and I, most likely assuming we play them in the Scottish Cup. And outside of that, um, you know, probably looking at a lot other dominant performances. So this is one of the four big, big tests um, above and beyond it, it being for a trophy. Mm. Thinking back to that last game, Alan, I guess the main feeling after that was that probably disappointment or, you know, almost uh, not anger per se, but real disappointment in the way that Celtic played that game because they were poor on the day. But there was also hope in it that Rangers needed to get something in that game. They didn't. And that was the worst that Celtic have played against them in probably two years. So the performance level is something that you're looking for in this game to be better than the last game. Because if it's better than the last game, Rangers played all out attack. They tried their best to beat Celtic. They couldn't beat them at their best while Celtic were at their worst. So you have to think maybe going into this game that if Celtic bring their best performance, then they are strong favourites in this. Yeah, I mean... As we always say, context is key. So <clears throat> remember two things about that um, from, from Ange. One is he very, in a very understated way, but nevertheless in public, let it be known that there was a, a vomiting sickness bug that had affected a lot of the squad and the, and the, and the slightly surprising um, lineup certainly supported that. It's unknown exactly which players were. Um, affected him to what extent but he mentioned it he didn't make a big deal of it but it was there and then after the game on what was as you rightly say quite a disappointing Celtic performance he looked pleased as punch there was no disappointment from him there was no complaining about poor performance levels and, and my reading of all of that is that he knew that he went there under extreme the squad went under there under extreme duress against a team that had to win they managed to pull out a draw against the, the physical odds in terms of the the well-being of the physical state of that a lot of the players were in, and he seemed pretty comfortable about that. So, I, I as you think I said at the time, from an analysis perspective, it's very difficult to objectively analyse that game. I think, um, and, and obviously, the, the first game of the season was at Celtic Park. And Bronkhurst was a manager and Celtic won very easily. So in, in some senses, we're a little bit in unknown territory. This is now, you know, Beale's, uh, Mickey Beale's got his feet firmly under the table. This will presumably be the team that he wants to pick and the playing the way that he wants to play. And therefore, it will be, in that sense, a slightly different test to what we've seen in the last two uh, two matches, I think, uh, because I think Celtic obviously come into this with a 20-man squad that will be fit and rearing to go. One big difference. And obviously, you know, with what I think are signs of improved cohesion, even over and above what we've already seen this season, 
there are signs that since the World Cup finished, um, you know, some of the aspects of our play, especially off the ball, actually, and defensively, we're, we're becoming even stronger now than, than what we would have been even even when we played the last game uh, with, a, with a depleted league. You know, squad not in great physical shape. So I think that those are the contexts I would give to that. I wouldn't worry too much about that performance, Ibrox, in all honesty. Um, what we're seeing at the moment is a very calm, measured Celtic team that seems very comfortable with itself and playing with a consistency. And this is the come back to, this is what we, we saw at the end of last season from December, January onwards, and what we've seen pretty much all of this season, bar, bar two games, is this consistency. Um, you know, it was an incredibly disappointing performance at St Mirren, and then there was a mitigating, mitigating circumstances, as we said, at Ibrox. So apart from that, it's been pretty consistent. So I'd, I'd, there's no reason, therefore, logically, why we shouldn't expect something similar from Celtic. Mm-hmm. I'm conscious of paying too much heed to the opposition uh, during this podcast, but often it's easier to start with how they try to stop us rather than what we do because inevitably it tends to land on Celtic unpicking what they did uh, through really good play. But we'll we'll start with Rangers in this game and then move on to what we think Celtic might do in terms of lineup and uh, counteracting what Rangers are going to do because in my opinion, like Celtic are the team that are going into this game as the main team and it's up to Rangers to stop them, not the other way around. So we'll start with what the opposition are going to try to do here, James. Mickey Beale has taken over. The results have been good. Some of the results have been, in my opinion, if you just look at the uh, the highlights of the games, quite lucky along the way to use a phrase that he liked to use uh, about Ange a couple of weeks ago. They've come from behind a lot They've gotten penalties a lot, um, unsurprisingly, and then they've scraped by in some of these games. But they have dominated in some of the games as well to to put some balance into it. But it certainly hasn't been all clean sailing for them. It hasn't been a manager bounce where they just put in unbelievable performance after performance and build on that momentum. There has been some changes and some lack of momentum in it. Yeah, and that's I, that's why I'd characterize what I'd said that the the results have been, um, you know, good objectively. I mean, they basically matched Celtic over that stretch from a results perspective, um, but that the underlying um, performance data is is pretty mixed in that regard. I mean, that the the shift between the two managers. I mean, you'd think intuitively because of winning 13 out of 14 with a new manager coming in. It was like, wow, things must have really changed and they must be playing much better. And uh, the weight of the evidence suggests that's not been the case, whether it's been a timely uh, red card or uh, some penalties here and there. Um, and and but they've been finishing better, as I mentioned. So that they have generally been finishing better the, the one thing i would say is that he's shifted some of the roles and some of the kind of the allocation of who's doing what uh he's been using kent differently um i think arguably with some mixed results but um you know t- he's used tillman more um centrally and more of an attacking eight uh position and that that has been paying off for them he's actually been quite good under beal um so I, whether he's available on Sunday will, I think, be one of the big variables here because I think he is a potential, um, you know, weapon for them. Uh, perhaps on set pieces being 
um, you know, one of the more problematic issues if, if he, if he does play. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's been a huge tectonic shift here. Um, now again, in fairness, to your point, Enda, we try to be as objective as we can here. Uh, you know, Raskin appears to be a good player. He's kind of just in the door getting settled. Um, Cantwell again, you know, to me, he seems a, um, uh, a more threatening player than a Lundstrom, let's say, meaning that if he, he's going to be more creative and he's going to, um, low buyer, but well, right, right. Uh, obviously. Um, but you know, similar profile, I mean, they're coming out of kind of the top of the championship and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of level of player. Um, so he's still, you know, kind of getting acclimated and, and his role hasn't really been settled. He's been in midfield a little bit and out on the wing. So, um, he's been using Sakala a little differently and more, um, than, than Geo had. So there's definitely a mix, but what hasn't changed and we talked about it, is that th- their back four and particularly their fullbacks are, you know, they still, they're coming up high and um, they're not as quick as they used to be, let's say. Uh, and and uh, so they, they still kind of get beat on the counter and in behind the fullbacks. Um, and that hasn't really changed much. Um, so, you know, that introduces a lot. I mentioned it briefly on uh, on Tuesday, uh, th- this chess match as far as how both managers, kind of, I think we know how Ange for the most part um, is going to approach things, but how Beal approaches things I think is going to be very interesting because of some of these inherent vulnerabilities that they have relative to some of our strengths getting in behind, for example, um, versus how aggressive he wants you know to be, how... how um, on the front foot, do they want to be and kind of because they are, you know, let's let's call it from a, because there's nine points behind and, um, you know, we're, we're the, the trophy holder in this competition. They're kind of the underdog coming into this. Uh, so do they want to come out and be kind of forceful in that context uh, to try and set kind of a, a mentality, I think will be interesting. Um, so, but yeah, it, it's. The thirteen and one, thirteen oh and one, is I think um, misrepresentative. There, there has not been a sea change. Mm. Yeah, it definitely hasn't felt like that when you look at even some of the reactions from, you know, the online support. That they definitely have not been blown away with what he's been doing so far. And um, Alan, I guess one tactic that I would do, and one tactic that Rangers have done uh, in the past for counteracting Celtics midfield is just kick them just kick them around <laughs> silly low fouls niggly low fouls small ones you'll get away with small ones in these type of games that just slow the game down stop Celtics momentum stop them from developing any sort of structure within their game and you worry myself and James were just chatting about this off air before we started recording if you're looking at Celtics form player going into this is Rio Hatate just stick on him, kick him around, bully him as much as you can and hope that that disrupts the play to the extent that Celtic can't get any momentum or rhythm within their game. Yeah, I mean, we, we can see even within the data and with our own eyes, there's a clear pattern in in games where Celtic will get penalised for a lot of very innocuous contacts, whereas the, the, the reverse is, is rarely true. And so, you know, you get games where Celtic have 70-odd percent possession 
and concede 15 fouls and the opposition have the ball for 10 minutes and you know, concede only five. And some of that's to do with style of play. Some of it's to do with the aggression by which Celtic press and counter press. Um, but some of it's to do with, you know, just slightly different criteria being applied to con- certain contacts. And we know that that's going to be an issue uh, uh, on on Sunday. But listen, you can't fill your head. As, as players, as, as managers, you don't fill your head with any of that stuff. Um, you know, we, we as fans can bitch and moan about it and point out the bleeding obvious, but it's, it's a loser mentality to take that into the dressing room. You just, you just, you just, you know, you, you play your best game, basically. Um, and actually, some of the things that I think, you know, to get back to the sort of approach to play, really, are some of the things which I think Celtic have maybe, you know, I say struggled. I mean, even last season, they eventually worked out how to beat most teams. Um, you know, a lot of teams go five at the back, three in midfield and two or a 5-4-1. They try and compress the centre of the field and force uh, Celtic wide. But what Celtic have done since, um, certainly since, if you look at sort of the World Cup as the sort of watershed and look at pre and post World Cup, as, you know, as James has rightly said, you know, although things like expected goals are actually down, even 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 the shot quality is down. Volume of shots is 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 kind of um, about the same or slightly down. We're not making the goal, opposition goalkeeper make uh, any more saves. So you look at all that, and also even our, our goal return is is not gone up. So you look at all that, you think, well, we're getting worse. But actually, um, as James has also pointed out, um, the, the, there's a cost. There's a cost to the opposition to restricting Celtic only slightly. So to almost keep Celtic either at the same level or slightly regress in Celtic's attacking output, the opposition are having to give up so much um, attacking possibility because they're so concentrated on defence and so deep and so tight that, that you know, the, the, the threat from the opposition, especially the, the sort of run-of-the-mill teams in the SPFL, has almost fallen off a cliff. You know, so they're ex- whereas Celtic's XG is down slightly, the opposition XG is down a whole lot. You know, they're having less uh, touches in the box, less shots uh, in the box, etc. And but there's another side of it as well, and that's Celtic are finding um, are being more effective at breaking teams down. So what I'm saying is, some of the underlying play is improving. We're not seeing the results yet on the scoreboard, and that should be a huge worry for a lot of the teams in Scotland. So what do I mean by that? I mean that our pack, our packing scores have gone up quite considerably by, by sort of 10, 10%, uh, more than 10%, sorry, actually creating you know, more pack passes. That's more passes that take, take opposition out of the game. Our pack recovery scores, that's forcing turnovers in the opposition, has gone up you know, hugely. So we're, we're forcing more mistakes from the opposition because we're hemming them in in their own, in their own half. We're taking more defenders out of the game. We're recovering the ball more. We're, the, our goalkeeper's having to make less saves. And if you look at the sort of pressing metrics, which I'm hinting at there, is if you look at the sort of pressing, the sort of passes per defensive action metric, Celtics has gone up from 8 to 2.22 to 9.92. So we're, we're, we're making more passes despite opposition pressure, and the opposition are making uh, less passes uh, and giving the ball away more in their in their in their own third, as well, and and their packing and the opposition packing score uh, is going down. So all of those things are saying that underneath this truth that Celtic's attack looks like it's less effective, the actual underlying play is becoming more effective. We're finding ways 
to get through teams were not necessarily being forced wide, were playing more passes centrally into dangerous areas in the box, despite the numbers, were backing, the players are backing themselves to give and receive the ball in tight areas under immense pressure. And that's why I picked up on O specifically on uh, on our last pod, because he seems to have a particular skill set that allows him to take the ball under pressure and hold on to it under pressure and, and lay it off to somebody. That's how you break down uh, teams that want to pack the centre of the field, which is what, what the Rangers will do. So, so, so despite despite the uh, the, light, the slight light drop off in XG etc., Celtic are being more effective on the ball. They're finding better solutions to get into the opposition box, and they're being more effective out, out off the ball. We're pressing better. Our press is better organised. It's more effective, and and the more defensive the other teams get, the more pressure we can put on them. So that all sounds very positive, but I think it is, and I think actually there's a there's a couple of hammerings coming for somebody because I, I think at some point Celtics XG will pick back up to the underlying metrics. Mm-hmm. There's a comment in from Frank Brennan who says, without a doubt, they will be aggressive and in our faces. Uh, you can bet that uh, your last dollar on it or physicality or near lack of it will be yet again found wanting. I have to say, I disagree with this because Celtic have both aggressive players like Johnston, like McGregor, like O, for example, now, but Celtic's aggressiveness and is a completely different type of aggressiveness or physicality that you'd expect from the underdog team. It's not going out and kicking players. It's not getting going out and getting stuck in people's faces. It's using the ball much quicker than them. Speed of thought, uh, aggressiveness in the press, aggressiveness in going at teams. That's the type of aggressiveness Celtic has. Yeah, sure, they don't have a Scott Brown anymore, but they bring the game to the opposition and that is an aggressive style of play. That is not backing off. That is, if anything, more aggressive than John Lundstrom going out and kicking Hatate around the pitch, uh, in my opinion. But you, you mentioned the press there, Alan, and this is what I was going to ask you, is if you look at Rangers' strength that James have mentioned in the fullbacks and how far they push up, Barisic obviously has really good delivery uh, from the left-hand side. Travenir is a goal threat, especially from the penalty spot, um, if they get those. But... You essentially you want to press and hone them in because I, I know that Travernier, if you press him, he has been found wanting. If you put him under pressure, he has been known to kick the ball out the sideline. Barisic has had numerous, numerous mistakes in him in these games, especially uh, you know losing people at the back post. You want to keep them pinned in as much as you can and force them into uh, longer kickouts for you know the Carter Vickers. To dominate them in the air, sort of thing. That's where where Celtic, I think, will win or lose this game, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think we have to be a little bit careful, isn't that you know whether we like it or not, this is this is a far better team than anyone else we face in Scotland, and therefore the better players and the more press resistant. You know, Ryan Kent may not be much of a goal threat, but he's very good at taking the team up the pitch. Um, you know, Tillman is a big, strong boy with good technique. Uh, can, can can shield the ball. Camera is very press resistant, very excellent, really shielding the ball and getting the ball up, up the park. So it's not. I, I, I don't re- recall a game even under Ange where we've 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 harried them to um, to defeat. I think where we've done well is more the more that on the attacking side with the ball, we've created overloads in good areas and we've got runners running off of defenders 
especially Barisic, uh, to get into, into good positions. I think that's how we've done well against them, not necessarily through pressing, because I think they're, they've are they got good enough players to be much more press-resistant than any of the other teams that we that we, that we we face. But I'll, I'll let maybe James come in on that one as well. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And as again, I think we're... Um... We'll, we'll see how Raskin fares in this kind of environment. I'd be shocked if he's not their, um, you know, starting central uh, defensive midfielder. Um, and, and what I have seen of him and just some of the stats I looked at him from his time in, um, was in, in uh, Eredivisie. Yeah. Oh, in Belgium? Was it Belgium? Belgium. Was, okay, Belgium. Oh, yeah, Standard Liège. That's what it was. Standard. 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 That's, that's my central PA accent. Red, redneck accent. Apologies. Um, okay. that, was, that, was, that was my Alex Ray accent. <laughs> um, it's, you know, he, he he's pretty competent on the ball. So, to, to Alan's point, Camara, too. I mean, I, well, I, I that's this goes back to I'll, I'll kind of tie the last two topics together because the midfield is the area that I'm most concerned about. Agreed, um, agreed. And it, it, this is in totality because of all these issues with transition that we've had and, um, you know, various aspects of relative athleticism, size, speed. Uh, and if, you know, I, I mentioned to Enda Allen before you came on, um, before we went live, I did a little digging on our friend Nick Walsh. Um, out of curiosity, again, just on how the tone of officiating might be, um, because that, regardless of, of, um, league or matchup, that that's an obvious kind of objective consideration. And if you look at his, and again, I'm, I'm going off of a website who scored that tracks, um, basic statistics. So again, none of this is advanced, but looking at things like, um, yellow cards per game. They have 16 officials that have um, done games in the Scottish Premier League this season, the Premiership, um, and he is 11th out of 16 in his rate per game of yellow cards. If you do fouls per tackle, which is one of them, one of their metrics, he's 10th. Okay, so again, this is within the context of a Scottish league that the officiating is more permissive than general leagues. And he's in the bottom half to bottom third within that context. So if the, if the strategy is to, you know, kick the hell out of Rio Hitate on the margin, um, that probably wouldn't be such a bad strategy given who the manager or the, uh, the referee is um, going to be. And that's, a, you know, again, independent of any other kind of externalities that we could talk about. Uh, one of those being he is second highest in um, – out of 16 and penalties granted per game in the, in the VAR era here in the league. Um, so again, sample size isn't huge side so that one. Yeah. I just throw that out as red meat. Um, but <laughs> the other ones, you know, the yellow cards, fouls per tackle, it, you know, that, that lends itself towards being more. And that's even with out considering the context that this is a Derby and it's a cup final where um, referees are, I, I would argue reasonably, apprehensive to do too much early and they kind of let the game shake out in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes. And they allow the physicality sometimes, you know, to, to be more um, than, than they normally would. So, you know, if it's Lundstrom or if it's um, uh, Kamara or Tillman flying into tackles, I would kind of expect that to be a base case, (laughs) Um, uh, particularly in the first half hour. Uh, And I would, 
guess that it'll be allowed for the most part, unless there's something really egregious. Um, but it's more so it's something that might be a red that might end up being a yellow and something that probably should be a yellow will probably just be a foul and, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, but that's, you know, that, that is, those are all layered on top of some of these other kind of just inherent issues around uh, transitions, the press resistance that they have um, on a relative basis. Again, we're talking about compared to the other teams outside the champions league that we've played. And um, you know, that if, if it is a, some mixture of Tillman Kamara, Raskin, Cantwell, there is a degree of speed, quickness, and size there that is a completely different animal than what we, we've faced um, domestically. So, um, you know, so th those are things that so it's, we, we need to exploit them in spaces and in the areas that like fullback where they're probably a lot and 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 their center backs uh you know getting Kyogo in behind and those midfield runners in behind um that type of thing um uh, because i think it it could be particularly if they play the you know the, the christmas tree as i keep calling it um formation where they're very tight and narrow in midfield you know that that it's it's going to be it could be rough going in in midfield mm. the great thing i i just love about football is that some things just never change, no matter how far you develop on the field stuff, like the absolute single-handed things that go along with football never change and probably never will. And to use very basic football language, James, what you were saying is in the first 10 minutes, get stuck into them and uh, don't pick up any stupid yellow cards early on. Otherwise you're, you're on a booking and you're going to get done on the counter-attack and you can't put in a challenge when you need to put in a challenge. And uh, just don't give the referee any reason to send you off. That's, you know, three very basic football rules that have been around forever and have no matter what level of football you play in, they stand the test of time as well. So, yeah, but, I mean, Celtic, but Celtic, Celtic, Celtic don't play like that. Celtic won't play like that. Celtic won't be going into the game and will not be telling the players to, you know, get a reducer in in the first 10 minutes. Mm. Right? He just won't because well, he knows. Is... A, 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 he knows we'll get a yellow card, but B also, it's just not the way he wants to play football. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and one thing that doesn't get remarked about the Celtic team is the, le is the level of discipline. Players do not get involved in things extraneous to the job that they've got in hand. They don't get involved in, um, you know, um, narking contests with the opposition players. They don't get involved with the referee. They don't get involved in running feuds. They, you know, they, they, they would they'd get an earful from the sidelines if that was the case, I think. So yeah. they may try and drag us down to that level, but I don't think Celtic will, will rise to that. And, and that, that actually, so, and, and I've, I've been, um, you know, one of one of my joys of um, getting called a secret hunt and all these other things over the years has been um, because I, try, I, I don't like underestimating the opposition. And it's difficult to go through um, a number of prolonged one-on-one -on -one interviews like I have with Michael Beal and look at his CV um, to think that he's an idiot, right? Th this is a serious guy who is a student of the game. It seems reasonably intelligent, right? I, I agree with you. And I, and I think Alan has said it too. I love that he's playing this pantomime villain role, right? That just, that takes all of this up uh, several notches. But the reason why I bring this up now is to, be, if I take it at face value that this guy is not a moron, uh, that it might actually be the opposite of that, a fairly intelligent guy. Um, and you're looking at someone like Ange, 
and you're looking at this really disciplined side that you have, how do you try to mix stuff up? How do you try to get people off their game? Well, you play the role of a lunatic. You play, you, you know, you say things to try and get stuff mixed, you know, get it in the mixer emotionally to get people out of that kind of robotic doing your job. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, how do you get people off their game? You, you talk smack. Um, and, and so I'm not saying it's going to work. I suspect it won't. Um, but that, that's, again, context to some of the stuff that he's saying is I'm guessing it's probably to try and get, you know, Celtic off of their game to a degree um, to get people to lose their head a little bit. And, and um, you know, I, I hope it and I don't think it'll work, but I, I can't say it's a crazy thing to be doing. So, so James, I completely agree with you. Um, and I, you know, I definitely see our part of what we do. Um, you know, is not to, like you say, not to underestimate the risks, etc. Um, on Beal, there is the option that he is just an arrogant prick, and a lot of the a lot of the evidence suggests. I mean, I, I don't this disagree. Is guy, with that. This, this is the guy who you know was, was coaching under elevens and feels he's good enough to walk on, away from the first professional club that gave him his big break in Queen's Park Rangers, uh, uh, you know, at the drop of a hat after preaching loyalty to the squad. That this guy is, you know, in terms of self, you know, self-confidence and ego is way, way out there. So I, I wouldn't put it down to clever mind games. 
particularly in that instance. I agree with what you're saying about approach in terms of it's what you're talking about is the go-to strategy, as the Ender said, for any underdog in any cup tie against a, an, an opponent who's just set on attacking. Um, and, and it makes sense at, at a very practical, but, you know, this is like a, almost like a football truism to say that. That doesn't require, you know, sort of um, Bill Shankly levels of, you know, voodoo and insight into the opposition or anything like that. He's just simply an arrogant prick, I think. Mm. Well, well, here's the thing. It's, it, it, it really is all dependent on the result at the end of the day, because if, if Rangers go on to win it, then, you know, his mind games got in the heads of the Celtic players who forgot about their roles and they didn't do them to the same level. And if they lose, Celtic did their talking on the pitch and that'll be the narrative essentially yeah, afterwards. And we'll see at the end of the season. We'll, I think his season will be judged at the end of the season, probably not judged at the, the end of this game uh, for sure. But just to keep things on the game itself, then what are we thinking from Celtic? We'll start with the midfield because I think the back line is fairly in clear cut. It's going to be Starfell, Cameron Gerbickers, Johnson and uh, Taylor as the, the back four. In midfield, going to be Cal McGregor, going to be Hitate. And I think the final choice is probably quite in, as interesting as it has been since the start of the season because you've got Aaron Moy, who's in good form, O'Reilly, who has been picking up his form in the last two to three games. Um it's probably the two main ones that you're going to be battling out for that position. I don't think Turnbull is putting his name up for that position uh, in this game anyway. So what are we thinking? Like if we're talking about a physical game that, you know, you're talking about Rangers and the counter-attack and transitions and things like that, then O'Reilly is probably a better option for counter-pressing because that's what he does really well. But Aaron Moy, again, has been playing very well over the last number of weeks. So what are we thinking in that position? Um so there's what I would lean towards my preference, and then there's guessing what Ange might do. Um, well, give, me I, your, I give me your preference. Don't don't give me what you think Ange would do. Yeah. So my my, my preference is probably going to be um, maybe surprising to some people, but I, I given this situation, um, I, I'd rather us go more. And again, it's always fluid, but generally four two three one, um, and I'd rather have McGregor and Moy. Um, again, cause I, I'm, I'm my, my main, uh, concern here is, uh, our, our ability to lose or not lose control in the midfield, um, and lose that battle. And I think having, um, McGregor and Moy helps us relative to being more press resistant, which is another big concern I have. Um, and that kind of just stability and, and staying on the ball and maintaining possession because it's in the transitions and the physicality of the midfield, where if it gets a little more chaotic um, that I have more anxiety as far as um, again, within the context of, of, uh, of um, the likely environment with the referee um, where, you know, you, you get caught, out a little bit and you're you're you turn the ball over and you know, all of a sudden you're on a 3v2 with let's say Kent and Sakala and Morelos and you know Starfelt makes a challenge that wouldn't be shocking in in <laughs> the world of Starfelt in a in a cup final um all of a sudden it's a red you know what I mean like it, it the risks here are are um they kind of layer on top of each other um and and so that's 
I, I kind of defer towards the stability and the control aspect of, of Moy playing, you know, two in the pivot would be my, my, my preference. And then, then basically, which then you have Hitate being in good form. He's kind of your, fo- your focal point uh, roaming and being able to create. And when he does inevitably um, give the ball away that you've got a little bit more resilience behind him. Um, hopefully that would be the, the theory anyway. Um, so that's the logic. And that flawed as it might be. Yeah, that that's a loose structure as well because you're saying four two three one, but right. in reality, all of these formations are just loose concepts that the players react to within the system. It's not really. Yeah, it's just you're playing four two three one, and you're there in that exact position that you're supposed to be every single time. It's more right, but what generally what, what the, the distinction is when it's Hitate and um, um, O'Reilly is Hitate is, is not as deep as like a dual pivot would be he's more in kind of tweener land and Mm -hmm. and um o'reilly usually is the one more aggressively pressing and i i just i don't think our risk reward on that is real great in this game meaning i don't think we're going to get we're likely to get it's all conditional probabilities but um i don't think we're likely to get as much out of our press with o'reilly and atate as kind of the midfield um focal points and pushing Mm -hmm. that um, to make the the risks in transition worth what we might get out of it, and therefore I'd rather just be more reserved. And if you're going to do that, I think Moy is, you know, the the the, the preference. Um, yeah, playing between the lines is what you're supposed to say now, James. That's oh, okay. the it's correct terminology in football speak. Playing between the lines is what in, Rio Atate does very well in, in the half, in the half space. Yeah, in the half spaces on the half turn, and uh, have more than half a brain. Uh, what do you What do you think, Alan? So I, th- I agree that the midfield is the area of greatest concern. So I, I did a piece that's not out yet. Um, it was one of these tabloidy pieces where I just went through the starting elevens and did a, a sort of man for man com- com- compare. But what was interesting, I'll come to the midfield in a second. But what was really fascinating for me on that is I used stats bomb data. This wasn't my own data; it was stats bomb data, right? And what was absolutely clear was that man for man, Celtic's back five are way stronger than their back five. Man for man, you know, McGregor is letting in way more goals than he should. Um, uh, Johnston is, you know, Johnston doesn't have the attacking output of Tavernier, but he's so much better defensively. Um, You'd think that Goldson and Carter Vickers would be quite a close match, Nope. Carter Vickers is way stronger. Uh, ben Davis uh, is, is I think, him and McGregor are their weak links, right? Ben Davis does not does not compare well to Starfelt. Uh, I've spoken about Starfelt at length. Um, and, and, and Taylor profiles slightly better than Barisic. So to, to, to me, to my mind, um, you know, Coming back to the midfield, where I think the midfield is more problematic, the players' profile, um, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. You, you, can you really compare Lundstrom and McGregor, for example, because they play quite different roles? And, and actually, obviously, Lundstrom's far better defensively than McGregor is, but clearly you've got this whole notion of how the team plays and the, the, the sort of momentum and the, the pace and the, you know, the, the, the McGregor gives the team. So that's, that's a tricky one. Um, this isn't me. This is Statsbomb, right? Statsbomb says that Tillman's attacking output is better than Hitati's. Don't shoot me. 
That's what Statsbomb says, okay? And then on with O'Reilly, let's say if you're comparing him to, it's a difficult one because you can't compare him to Raskin because Raskin's only played like 90 minutes or something. So midfield is a tricky one. And I, I was interested in what James was saying. I think if you're going to go to a double pivot, more of a 4-2-3-1 basic starting shape, then then do it properly. Put Iwata in with McGregor, right? Because that's what, that's, what, that's what his job is. Because actually, Aaron Moy's form has been terrific as a as a forward playing number eight, getting into the box, playing quite high and creating trouble with his range of passing. So I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think we'll do that. I think the way to win this game is to attack their back four, to back five, really, as much as possible. Uh, I think O'Reilly's probably the most uh, adept in terms of pressing the opposition defence, playing little passes into into Kyogo and into into Jota and so forth uh, from outside the box. So I, I would go with O'Reilly uh, for this game. Uh, yeah. I'd have no problem if Moy comes on after 60 minutes with his cigar on just to see it out, that's fine. But the, the key to me to, to this game, because I think Sakala with his pace and Kent running at you uh, and Tillman's a skillful player, he gives the ball away a lot, but he, just, he can make things happen. I think you want to you know, you want to kind of uh, have them on the ball as little as possible. So the way forward for Celtic is to attack, attack their mm. defences relentlessly as we can. And easier said than done. And I take the point about the counter counter attack, etc. Of course, but I think we have to relentlessly put pressure on their defence. That's where we've ended up with three nil, four nils, is we've put their defence under pressure. We've created overloads. We've got people into dangerous positions, and that, to me, that's that's if that's the way forward for Celtics. We, you know, we've got that's really their weakness across the back five. Yeah, I'm going to clip that Rio Hotate thing, and I'm going to snip out oh. the parts where you say that it's staff swam, so that it sounds like you saying it's me, yeah. it's me, shoot yeah. me, yeah, yeah, yeah. instead of uh, staff swam. So I've got the I've got I've got the uh, I've got the because I can't share it staff swam data because it's the Celtic way pay for it so. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be putting it out anyway because it's just not worth my time to do it. <laughs> but I, I have the evidence, uh, and I can. If you want, people want to DM me politely, I might share it with you. <laughs> mm. um, so, I said in the outside of this that we weren't going to go too long. It's forty-three minutes in, and I think there's at least another ten things that I'd like to touch on. So, but we we won't touch on everything. Um, one thing that I do want to touch on, I guess, is your reference to the attack line, and that is who is going to start up front because. I'm going to throw something in here. We've got a guy, a young guy, who's lethal at finishing, lethal at taking chances, has been the absolute bane and his hole for the last number of games in this fixture. Are we going to start him up front? Are we going to start him on the right wing? You guys know who I'm talking about. Name skills? No, no. <laughs> 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 I I would I would be surprised. I, I think it'll be my eight. I'm talking about time. a bada, by the way. If of not, course. Not aware yeah. Of I'm talking about. yeah, I I think um, it, it seems fairly self-evident, as Alan is apt to say. You know, Ange is a pretty straightforward, open book kind of guy, and you can kind of infer with what his decisions are, um, what, what what his kind of pecking order is, and I think it's been pretty clear with the relative lack of starts that Abada's had in recent weeks um, in, in deference to Maeda and Jota that, you know, they're kind of the, the top of the, of the pecking order. Um, throw in to that 
the the context that this is a final and um you know a derby i i just would be i i guess i mean who do you drop because again i um i guess in theory you could argue you drop maeda and and put jota on the left because that uh you know creates that um vulnerability in that matchup potentially with tavernier um and and goldson on that side um but I, I don't I, I my guess is Maeda and, and Jota, which again I mm. I'm actually open to either. Like I think there's a, a very reasonable argument to be made for for both iterations. Um, you know, the, everything from the idea that prefers Jota on the left, and to your point, Abada seems to got to be a guy about moments. We've talked about it over and over, and you know, cup games and particularly finals are oftentimes about moments. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be averse to that, that version either. Well, you've got him off the bench as an option as well if things aren't going well, if you wanted to change it up. I think the nightmare scenario for Celtic at the minute is the fact that Abada is really good at arriving late at the back post for crosses. So in, in the ideal world, you would have somebody who's good at crossing the ball like Jota on the left to get those balls across. But with that, you're losing the press and the mobility up front that Maeda provides with those runs in behind that Greg Taylor has been picking out. I think he probably climbs up the packing scores with those, Alan. Um, at this point, it's like a, a set move that Celtic have these days is that little ball from Greg Taylor in behind for Maeda to run, run onto. But you're also losing the pressing ability of Maeda as well. So, I don't know. It's it's I don't I definitely wouldn't rule out a bad of starting in this game for the sure fact that nobody is undroppable within this Celtic team and everybody is a starter ability wise mainly in the in the main part you have um most player most positions we have two players who are pushing for the same spot. So yeah, I think I wouldn't rule out about it, but I think it will be probably Maeda and Jota. Um the final man, Kyogo, or I presume he's starting up front. I presume we're going for with that Allen rather than O. Oh yeah. Um or oh no. Oh no. Um no no yeah. No it'll be Kyogo. Uh, listen, it'll be Maeda and Jota. Like I say I don't think there's any mind games or tricks that I'm just trying to pull here. Remember, Jota's pretty good at arriving at the back post as well. We've seen that. That is true. In recent recent times, that header against uh, Dundee United. Maeda's getting better at putting the ball across the box. box Maeda's attacking the byline. I mean, it's like an old, it's what I was taught to do as a kid, you know, attack the byline, uh, cut it back, hit it low across the box. Maeda's getting more and more confident. And we know that, you know, Tavernier, is a lot quicker going forward than he is going back. So, you know, get him running backwards. Um, chasing Maeda is, is something that we definitely want to do. And as you rightly say, Greg Taylor is perfecting that beautiful sort of inside inside bass between the between the, between the, uh, the half spaces to, to release them. That's, that's a thing of beauty. So uh, hopefully we'll see a couple of those as well. But no, I don't think I don't think there'll be any surprises. I think the only doubt will be that, not that, that whether Moy comes back in or whether um, O'Reilly keeps his place. I think O'Reilly will probably keep his pace. Otherwise, it'll be Kyogo in for Owen. It'll be the same team as played last week. Um, yeah, I, you know, then we'll see, see how, how many mind games. But I don't think it really changes. You know, whatever players they have, injured or not injured, they've got, you know, they've got a 33-man squad for, for, for that reason. I'm sure they'll, they'll pack it with pretty much like for like anyway. Mm-hmm. I think the correct way of saying that is that Greg Taylor has gotten better with his lateral passing through the half space for Maeda on the half turn to get low and high opportunity chances in the final third of the opposition box. I think that's it's quite, it's quite, yeah, it's quite funny. And I think I, I, I detected today on Twitter amongst people that are sort of 
you know, worth following in terms of football analysis. That there's a bit of a a pushback against those who write in a way which make it sound like an academic journal rather than writing about football. There's a bit of a pushback against that, which uh, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I appreciate what they do. I appreciate the work. Yeah. And I, I, I find the work interesting. I'm just like, just say it in the simple terms. Like you're not yeah, saying I mean, anything different to what people have been saying for the last 20 years. It's the same thing. You're just saying it in a different way. Small it's like, child, um, gold, you know, Absolutely. You just if if you want to see what this is all about, look at the way that people talk about Sean Dyche and then go watch Sean Dyche explain the four four two formation. It's yeah. just he explains exactly what these guys are doing yeah. in simple language, and, that, and for me, that's what the best coaches are able to do. Because yeah. what what like do do foreign players who barely speak English are they going to understand what the fuck you're talking about? Um, when you're talking about all these different football terms, but anyway, that's well, I'm, I'm not going to go like, into that. Rant. So- write for themselves and people write for other people i suppose i mean you know that's, that's true that's true i'm not having a go at anybody right i guess that, that's where we'll kind of start to wrap this up what are we going prediction wise then are we doing predictions for this game do we want i know you, you just love making predictions i haven't made just do them in a long long time i think the champions league was the last time i've made you do any predictions and on that note should be noted look at the results in the champions league this week RB Leipzig putting it up to Manchester City and Real Madrid destroying Enjoyed Real Madrid's performance. That, that was wonderful. Oh my were, God. Uh, it really puts into perspective what we were up against there. That was just too, like RB in the second half, especially Timo Werner, they were mm. absolutely exceptional. Like these mm. are two top level quality teams that South the came up against in the group stages. So, I mean, it really puts into perspective what we. You know what we did, um, but anyway, predictions, predictions, okay. predictions. Go on, James, you go first. All right, so I'll, I'll be. Um, I'll say we're we're gonna win on penalty kicks. It'll be it'll be two two in regular time, three three after extra time, and then Rio Hitate will take the fifth penalty and win it with a shot off the post that bounces off of McGregor's head and goes in. I'm, I'm detecting a slight sense of sarcasm <laughs> in your prediction. Slight. Now, I, um, yeah, I, I, we should win. I mean, I, um, so, but I, I do think there will be some goals. So um, I'll say uh, Celtic 3-2. Alan? Yeah, so listen, Celtic have got the better players, the better squad, the better manager, and the more coherent system, right? But we all know in a cup tie that can not always uh, get you the result. So having said all that, though, I, I just think there's a there's a confidence, a calmness, um, a, a, a sort of quiet certainty about the way Celtic are playing at the moment that I find difficult to imagine we'll get so thrown off our stride. Even, even if we go a goal behind, I don't think you'll see panic. I don't think we'll see a change of approach. I think you'll still see... Um, you know, if I say calm and methodical, that's not quite right. We'll still see an intense attacking uh, football. So, you know, th- there are, of course, going to be some variables that we've got to throw in. You mentioned the refereeing area that inevitably at some point will have a will have an impact. But, um, you know, I, I think Celtic will win, uh, maybe 2-1. I'm hoping 3-1. Mm-hmm. Ever the optimist. You, I think it was... Was it the 4-0 win? I, am, I always get confused by this because I was out of the country at this point. I was still traveling. It was the 4-0 win at the very start of the season, wasn't it? Yeah. So do you remember the intensity that Celtic brought in the opening 20 minutes of that game? 
that's what I'm expecting in this game. Yeah, the, 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 my memory of that game was that Celtic never had, had to get out of you know second gear, as the cliche goes. It was, it was we scored early, we got three 0 lead quite early in the game, and it was just so comfortable. And mm. it was really just sort of you know, fending them off with a <laughs> like it was like it was just so comfortable. That was my memory of that game. I might be completely wrong, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I was in Monaco for that. That's where I was watching oh, the game. You. So that's why I have like a hazy enough memory. All I remember is Celtic blowing them away. And that's sort of what I'm expecting. And maybe I'm being overly optimistic. I'm expecting Twitter to be a shit show because of the referee, regardless of what happens. I'm expecting <laughs> a Rangers penalty at some point in time. But hopefully my prediction is going to be 3-1 by the end of it and Celtic to uh, reclaim the trophy after last year. And... Yeah, that's that's where I stand. I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just being overly confident. I do think it's going to be a tighter game than they have been in the last couple of years. But I I think Celtic will still be dominant when it comes to the real action in the game. They might get kicked around a wee bit, but I think when it comes to the football, Celtic are going to be playing most of it uh, on Sunday. So let us know your predictions for the game in the comments below and like the video as well. Loads of people liking it already, but. Do make sure to like the video and subscribe as well if you're not subscribed to the channel. Uh, we'll be reviewing this game at some point next week. We're not really sure what day yet, but probably Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, potentially Thursday if things really catch up on us. But it'll be early on the weekend. We'll let you know on our social channels. Huddle Breakdown is where you can get us on Twitter. And if you want to get the podcast, it'll be available in iTunes and Spotify as well. James, Alan, enjoy the game. Hopefully we are talking about a win next week. Thanks. Enjoy, guys. Yeah, and enjoy to everybody who is watching and on YouTube and leaving comments below. Keep the comments coming and enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll chat to you next week. Good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the game.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.